From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode number 39. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace, Build It Beautiful, Harry's, an exceptional shave at a fraction of the price, and Blink, better affiliate links. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined, as always, by the editor-in-chief of MacStories.net, Mr. Federico Vitici. Hi, Federico. Hello, boss. Hey, buddy. And I'm also joined on uh, 512 Day by the editor-in-chief of 512 Pixels, Mr. Stephen Haggard. Hey, guys. How, what, can you tell the people why it's 512 Day today? Because it's May the 12th. Perfect. It's like the May the 4th, 4th of 4th uh, jokes, but better. Because American dates are dumb. Yeah, they're weird. No. They're weird. <laughs> why would you put the date before the month? Because oh you say the 12th God. of May. That's no, I don't. Reason. I say May 12th. No, I'm not saying you, but that's the way that we say it. We say <laughs> it like that. We don't say May the 12th. We say 12th Ridiculous. of May. Ridiculous. What's next? Healthcare for everyone? Yes. And also, um, because when you talk, you just assume that you know what the current month is. So you just need to say what day it is. Because no, th- you know that it's May. So you just yes. need to say the, the day, not the month. So no, why would you say does... May 12th? No, that does make a lot of sense uh, in conversation. <laughs> when you think about it, all our cultural changes actually made a lot of sense. Hey, I'm all for using the metric system. <laughs> you know, you guys drive on the wrong side of the road, but... It's the metric driving <laughs> system. That's what you that, need to employ. You, you no, Mike, that's just wrong. What you do in the UK is just wrong. I don't know why. Is there? A, I'm pretty sure there's like a, a royal family reason why that's the case. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it's more safe. Why? Why is it Why? not safe? No, it's, it's not, not safe because when everybody from like planet Earth goes to the UK, it's not safe. Well, it's more safe looking... on our roads to drive on the left. Oh, okay. No, if you're in a head-on collision, <laughs> wow. you are closer to the center line. How is that safer? We will let the follow-up decide. Yes, I'm not if even on safety. Sure what Please you just send said to me, Mike. Send Mike a tweet about uh, the driving conditions. Yes. <laughs> hashtag Mike was involved in a car accident, and that's uh, we'll too just... long for. You don't want to use that hashtag because then if I am, you're gonna feel really bad. You know. You don't. You yeah. don't. When's the last time you rode in a car? I I don't drive cars, <laughs> but I ride in cars. You know, every now and then. From random yeah, people. Yeah. When's the last you just time? Just hop into cars. Uh, like last week, I get lots of Ubers. Oh okay. wow! Look at you, all fancy and two point <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Uber is not Web two point <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, That's just what people say these days. Yeah, they they have an E in their name, so they're definitely not Web 2.0. Web 2.0 would be like uh, UBR. No, it'd just be BR. Bruh. No, that's a line break. Mad <laughs> <laughs> humor. Okay, so we have just a couple of pieces of follow-up this week. Um, we do. It's really one piece of follow-up with two chapters. Yep. But it's one book. So the Amazon Music... Uh, app so as part of amazon prime you can upload music and stream it and all that sort of stuff we've talked about in the past well dusty writes in to say that uh, that app has lyric support so you're listening to a song and you can see the lyrics and that's great but no one uses amazon music so we didn't we didn't know that um i have i tried it when it first sort of surfaced and it was kind of miserable and never been back and then we have another piece of follow-up saying that an app called uh deezer d-e-e-z-e-r uh, mm-hmm. Does this as well? And have you guys heard of this app? I had not. Yes. Um, yeah, it's a wow. yeah. European. So, uh, Deezer. When we did, I think last year, 
do you remember the article we did on the state of like ecosystems for music, movies, like the iTunes store, the Amazon store, and yeah, we did, of like the, ge- the geographical map? And Deezer at the time was actually, I think, one of the music services in most countries. It's very popular in Europe and I think Latin America. And um, but yes, this thanks uh, to Dusty and Rasvan for the follow-up, because it means that I have at least two other music services to try. You know? So I shall I shall make a Deezer account and, and try Deezer. I, I think based on what I got on Twitter, also the same follow-up, Deezer only shows like a lyrics uh, icon just for some songs, so it's kind of weird. And I still don't know whether the, the lyrics feature in Amazon Music is it based on the whisper sync stuff that they do for I, books? I think so. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think all that sort of stuff is kind of tied together with them. Yeah. yeah. So but I, I think it was I just a couple try. of highlights of like there are some official first party apps with first party offerings which give True. lyric support, right? I think yeah. that was what. Because as well, like as we got we got this follow up from a few different people, and and most people I don't think used the services. They just knew <laughs> knew that it was there. Just know, <laughs> yeah. But I want I want to try, especially Amazon Music, because they do. I mean, I'm I'm not sure whether it's even supported in Italy, but they do the drive uploader thing where you can mm-hmm. like upload music. Can you also stream music? I don't know. I'm a I'm an Amazon ignorant. Yeah. Probably, I think they. I think they do. I think they have an instant music catalog, like they have an instant video catalog. Mm-hmm. Um, did you? Have you played around with the Google one? Did you say? Did you try yes. all oh, yeah. access? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm still paying. Uh, for actually, you know what I did? I got an email to try the upcoming YouTube Music Key Beta. You know, they're doing the music service kind of stuff for YouTube where you can like save videos offline and skip the ads. Like actually don't never see the ads. So they sent me an offer. If I want to pay seven ninety-nine euros each month instead of nine ninety-nine, I I will get YouTube Music Key once it launches on the web and iOS. And in the same package, I get the Google Music All Access. So I'm paying basically two euros less, and I get I I'm, I have Google Music now, and eventually I suppose I will get Music Key on iOS. Cool. Okay. Hmm. Right. So we have a we have a few topics this week. We want to talk about the Mac App Store and iOS nine, um, like our predictions and that following Federico's uh, article, and Stephen has many opinions and thoughts about the Mac App Store. Uh, but I think before we do that, considering we have a couple of nice topics mapped out like that, we should take our first break for this week's episode. And I want to take a moment to thank our friends at Harry's for helping support the show again. Harry's, they are a great company that help people with their shaving pain. We know that shaving sucks, right? It can be uncomfortable. It can cause nicks and cuts and scrapes and razor burn. And razor blades can be, you know, they're, they're not only... Uh, can be tough on the skin, they can be tough on the wallet. And one of the reasons for that, you know, one of the reasons they can cause these problems on the skin is because you you really should be refreshing razor blades, disposable razor blades, quite frequently. Because, the you know, the, the, the more new the blade, the better the shave. And that can be difficult when you're paying an arm and a leg for, like, for, like, these big brand blades. And that is where Harry's comes in. They make their own blades. They have a a high-quality, high-performing German blades from this fantastic factory that they found over in Germany. They purchased the factory to make sure they could always get these great blades because 
and in doing that, they're able to pass the savings on to you, right? They can offer these high-quality razors about half the price of other big branded blades. The Harry's Blades will ship for free to your front doorstep. Uh, their starter set costs just 15 bucks, and you'll get a razor, moisturizing shave cream, or firming shave gel. I love the firming shave gel myself. And you also get three razor blades in that set. Just $15. It's, you know, it's one of those things that for that amount, and you know, considering as well, I'm going to tell you in a moment how you can get $5 off. So you end up getting this set for just 10 bucks. Like That is something worth trying. Because, you know, if, if you end up loving it, on average, an everyday shaver saves $150 a year when they use Harry's Blades. And Harry's also makes sure that your satisfaction is guaranteed because that's something that they really care about. I love the way that Harry's razors look. They have a really nice kind of cool retro. Um, I think I heard John Gruber say once, like a Mad Men style, you know, like this kind of cool retro feel. I, I like that a lot. Um, I, you know, I love their new products. I love their aftershave moisturizer. That's really great. It's got some. It's got a great smell to it. Keeps my face nice and smooth. Um, you know, I I think that Harry's products are just something that's worth it. Like for anybody in your life that needs to shave, Harry's is a great company to help you with that. You can experience a clean, close, comfortable shave with Harry's right now. Go to harrys.com, that's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com, and you can get five dollars off if you type in the coupon code Connected with your first purchase. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. Enter the code connected at checkout and you'll get $5 off to start shaving better today. Thank you so much to Harry's for their support of this week's show. Yeah, so the the Mac App Store has been in the news a little bit this week. It started with a blog post um, by the developer of Redacted for Mac, which is this new little Mac App Store app where... You can bring a screenshot into it and you can, you know, blur out private information. You know, kind of like Sketch does some of the stuff, but Sketch is terrible in almost every way. Um, really nice little app. It's, it's I think, 5 bucks, four ninety nine in the uh, in the app store. And it, um, it, it, it you know, had a, a pretty good day. I think a lot of people blogged about it and it sort of made the, the, the press rounds. But um, there was a, a blog post about it that really sort of... Uh, sort of set the world on fire a little bit with uh, the numbers of, of kind of what's going on in the App Store with purchasing and, and income made and that sort of thing. Um, did uh, did you guys see this stuff? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I follow uh, Sam on, on Twitter. And I uh, actually, the first point that I want to make, um, it's a very simple utility, looks useful, uh, especially if you don't need like the full set of... Uh, uh, you know, editing capabilities of something like Sketch. You just want something to, you know, hide specific information from an image. So the app looks fine. Looks, you know, looks cool. Uh, but what struck me immediately is that he said in his blog post that he basically didn't do any marketing. He didn't have any marketing plan for for the app. Just tweeted the the release of the app and it ended up somehow on Product Hunt is this website where people share new products every day uh, which sounds terrible especially if you if you have you know news overdose on a daily basis but it's not so terrible actually if you're looking for new stuff anyway um, so I just tweeted uh, a tweet and a post on, on product hunt uh, he, you know it was in the top 10 of the Mac App Store and the first thought that I had was like oh my god this guy they basically didn't think about marketing 
what was he expecting, you know, in terms of revenue and results from, from the app. Because if you don't have a solid marketing plan, these days, with so much competition, with so many apps, you need to get the word out beforehand. But the counter-argument to my thought was like, yeah, but this developer, with just a tweet, he managed to get in the top 10 of the Mac App Store. So when you think about it, yeah. it's crazy. So what's the, but I want to discuss with you, Stephen and Mike, what's the problem here? Is it that developers don't make enough money? Is it that the, the algorithm that governs that, you know, the way that the top charts works in the, in the, in the App Store and the Mac App Store in this case, is it that the problem that we don't know how sales or revenue count against the top paid? Or what, what's the other problem that, you know, that, that Apple needs to, to help uh, indie developers more? Because I see these numbers and it's kind of absurd when you think about it that just with a tweet, you, you're in the top 10, but actually you don't make, you know, uh, much money. Right. So I think what you're saying is actually a, a problem in of itself. What you're saying is it takes no marketing and you can get to the top. There's no friction in uh, the seemingly to make great leaps and bounds um, in the Mac App Store. And so we should talk, we should clarify a couple of things. One, um, Redacted on the launch day was num- the number eight top paid app in the U.S. Um, not the, uh, you know, there, there's different lists. There's top paid, there's top grossing, different stuff. But top paid, uh, number eight in the U.S., number one top paid in graphics with 94 downloads with uh, $302 uh, in, in Sam's pocket after Apple's cut. And so we're not talking about uh, about big numbers. He, he talks about in this um, blog post that 37 people tweeted him, like guessing how, many, how much money he made, and the average was $12,000. Like $302, yes, is like pretty good return on a tweet, but sort of miserable money overall, like in, in sort of the grand scheme of things. And so there's the issue of, uh, going to get to what I wrote and, and the reaction to that, but there seems to be like this almost like this vacuum in the Mac, Mac app store where you can just drop a pebble in and it makes these huge waves. And, um, and the fact that $302 is a huge wave in the Mac app store is really sort of problematic. And, you know, lots of people, like, I mean, there's sort of this group of people on Twitter always talking about, about the app stores and Apple's policies. And like, maybe Apple was tinkering with the, top paid algorithm th- that day. And so maybe this isn't accurate, yeah. but like all we know is what Sam wrote and, um, and we, you know, he's being honest and transparent about his numbers. And so even if the app store, like the computer that ranks the top paid one was gone berserk, I don't think that's really like a factor we can, we can put into this. I think it's safe to say that by any number of metrics, the Mac app store is unhealthy. And, and I think a lot hmm. smaller, as far as like sales volume, then uh, then Apple would like to let on, and maybe that I even thought beforehand. I mean, I was surprised when I read this. I think a lot of people were. This blog post really made the rounds. Um, I think both of us linked to it. I saw it on uh, the Loop and a bunch of other sites. Like this, this really hit hit a nerve with a lot of people because the Mac App Store has been a sort of a sore point in the community for a lot of reasons. There's obviously things like uh, sandboxing where developers had this set of rules forced on them that, that broke a lot of really good apps. I think about our friends at um, Tech Expander, who, you know, all of a sudden their app, which is completely awesome and viable, has difficulty operating in this new this new world. Um, 
So I've, I've, I've read a little bit about this, and, and basically what it kind of boils down um, to for me is that, look, the App Store is clearly struggling, right? Developers have, have left big-name, long-time, like, powerful Mac applications cannot be found in the Mac App Store. At best, they're found in the Mac App Store and on companies' websites. You think about like the Omni Group. They sell stuff in the App Store. They sell stuff on their own site. Usually the stuff on their own site is updated more quickly and maybe has features the other one doesn't. And and so my thought was, look, Apple. it's time for Apple to invest in and take a long, hard look at the Mac App Store. What can it do to solve these issues, not only for developers, but for customers as well? You know, you if you go to the, app, the Mac App Store, there's a lot of Apple stuff and there's a lot of garbage. And it's not exactly an encouraging place to be if you're a new Mac user. And I think Apple needs to do that or or they need to seriously consider like what the future of the Mac App Store is. And what I said was they should just shutter the thing, which um, when your site or when, uh, when something you write ends up on Hacker News, any sort of uh, humor is lost in it to those those readers. I got a lot of really nasty email about People that. People from Hacker News? Yeah, I, I could, oh man, you would not believe some of the email I got this week. Um, uh, but clearly, I don't think the answer is to shut down the Mac App Store, right? I'm not advocating that. Like, I'm sorry if you missed what I thought was a clever sentence. Like, too bad. But I do think it's an interesting thing to talk about. Is if the if the Mac App Store really is as unhealthy as as blog posts like Sam's make it look, what could Apple do to fix it? What could Apple do to revive it to make it better for for what is a still a very important platform for the company yeah i i agree with you like completely i think the basic problem in this story uh it's not about marketing and redacted the app which by the way so far i I saw a tweet from the developer today he has made you know especially after the press picked up on the story he has made over four thousand dollars in revenue so far so not bad for for a simple utility but anyway the problem is not reductive it's not you know how the top paid charts work and there's some weird stuff going on with the top paid and top grossing and it's basically just a black black box and we don't know how it works but that's not the main problem as you say steven i think the problem is that the mac app store has been neglected by apple for a long time and this is true in many cases like they do a promotion on the ios app store they don't do the same promotion on the Mac App Store. They launch a new feature for the iPhone and iPad App Store. They don't do the same for, for the Mac. Many times the same apps are featured, you know, for weeks. And they they basically just threw in a, a simple new design for Yosemite. But the basic design of the Mac App Store is unchanged from four years ago. And they just don't seem to care about improving the shopping and customer and developer experience with the Mac App Store. For example, as a as a gamer, I wouldn't want to buy a game from the Mac App Store because simple stuff such as uh, detailed hardware requirements are not listed on the Mac App Store. So if I want to buy games from the Mac App Store, I cannot see the full list of you know hardware that, in, that is recommended by the developer or necessary to play a game on my MacBook. And you know, Steam, for example, gives me gives me a much better experience as a gamer. And as a developer, uh, 
you know, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of uh, back and forth a few years ago with the sandboxing, but as we've seen with many high-profile developers such as Panic and you know others that have left the Mac App Store, obviously some stuff is not working, and I believe that it's for Apple it's maybe a problem of uh, resources that they just allocated too you know too much to the iOS App Store, and so they cannot have the same kind of frequency of innovation and new stuff, promotions, features, redesigns as they do on iOS, they cannot do that on the Mac App Store, which is sad because, you know, there's people making making a living from Mac Apps. So is this fixable? I think so. But it needs, you know, they, it needs Apple to kind of, as you said, Stephen, so I don't understand why people would send you nasty emails. You know, people are crazy you shouldn't care but anyway they should take a look at the Mac, uh, Mac App Store because next year it will be five years old and it's maybe time for a change because in four years the only big change that we got was a minor redesign for Yosemite so you know except of course if you don't count the restrictions that they put on developers uh, during the Mac App Store existence, which was awful in terms of, especially in terms of sandboxing, and then iCloud, you know, developers had to constantly cope with, with Apple's changes on the Mac, uh, which can be difficult, especially if, you, if you're if you used to a specific type of utility and access to the OS, and then suddenly stuff changes. It, it was awful, and yeah, I agree with Steven, for a change. <laughs> I think I think the worst part about the Mac App Store is sandboxing, right? Because you know the developers are used to not having it. As customers, we're used to having apps that don't need to to conform to these restrictions. And plus, I mean, I know they warned about it, but there were you you could put anything on the Mac App Store, you know, to a point. It, it, it sand when it when it launched at first, sandboxing wasn't a thing, so you could just you know a lot of apps had to leave that that were there originally but they put sandboxing and it took it away and i think that that is something that you know maybe apple should if they want if basically if they want the mac app store to, to to work they need to think about removing uh the sandboxing rules but that is a whole other thing right because there are very valid reasons why they put them in place in the first place but that i think is what is is stopping developers from going all in on it you know, it's mm-hmm. why it's why a lot of companies continue to sell stuff on their own website as well. Because, I mean, obviously, one massive part of it is review as well, right? Because you know, the, once these people are just used to like developers, like you know, like the Omni Group, like Smile, like Panic, they're used to doing things a certain way, and then they have to then conform to a more strict set of rules that Apple provides. It makes it a bit more difficult, I think, to 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 eat that as a as a thing and just do that. That that's that's you know, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow. I also I also think that the the ideal customer of of a specific niche of Mac software is used to a certain type of doing business with the developer. So for companies such as Panic or the Omni Group, their customers are used to the idea of an you know trials, upgrade pricing and I can buy the argument that Apple wanted to kind of change people's minds uh, when it came to how you buy software, how you discover new software. But at some point, you just need to face reality and understand that what you, the kind of change that you want to not force upon people, but maybe to um, strongly 
advertise to people. Maybe that kind of change is just not gonna work for everyone. And so you see developers such as Panic pull out from the Mac App Store because you know this is this stuff is just not gonna work because their customers are used to us you know some type of buying apps over the years and doing business with the same company and the same developers over decades. So if you just want to force these developers to kind of change the way of doing business or you know to do all sorts of crazy hacks, I remember the Omni Group had put together some way of doing upgrade pricing with the with OmniFocus maybe from the Mac App Store and their own website and basically Apple asked them to, to shut it down and so for, for some companies it's just not gonna work and the worst part you know in this story with the Mac App Store is that these are the companies that are making the best software for the Mac. These are yeah. the developers that you would want on the Mac App Store because of the developers that make you, make your new features and your new hardware shine you know with software that it's crafted with care and by experts, these are the people that you want to make software from the Mac App Store. So why are you driving them away? For some sort of idealistic change that in, <laughs> pra in practice is just not gonna work. And I think it's, I wouldn't say stupid, but maybe short-sighted. Uh, I wanna close this out, unless Stephen, you have anything more that you want to add by talking about what Dan Council wrote this week? Yeah, I think it gets into it a little bit, but I think, I mean, we talked about sandboxing, but I think the thirty percent cut is is uh, a a pretty brutal factor, um, especially you know big name companies that don't need don't need Apple's platform. Like iOS, you don't have a choice. But on the Mac, if you're big enough, like the Omni Group, they can just sell stuff to to people. You know, they don't need Apple as the middleman. And um, so I do wonder if that's a factor as well. But yeah, Dan's uh, Dan's blog post is really uh, insightful. So why don't you uh, walk us through that? So there's a few things that I pulled out of this. So Dan and Real Mac, they they always in these sort of scenarios provide a good take on stuff. Um, and yeah, he is one to watch. You know that, and, and Nick as well at Real Mac, they write really interesting things. And and what I liked about this is basically saying that, and a, a couple of quotes from the article. Um, However, number eight in the pay charts on the Mac App Store has never really been that great. It's not about being in the top pay charts. It's about being in the top grossing. And that seems to be, you know, that's the same across all stores. But I think the top grossing charts on the Mac App Store is populated by a lot more indie developers than the top grossing on the, you know, on, on the iOS App Store, right? So the, the key thing is you can see that people are in the top grossing, you know, people that you know. And he shares, and Dan shares actually a bunch of numbers um, from Real Mac and across all of their products, and he shares the, the numbers in the Mac App Store and out of the Mac App Store. And their daily numbers per app actually tend to be much higher in some cases um, on, any, on, a, on any kind of average day um, than Sam's because they're sitting in the top grossing, and in most instances, they're ranking lower than he was. Because they're you right. know the, the 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 prices are higher or they're selling in app purchases and that kind of stuff and and they're able to to pull it up that way, um, and he concludes by saying I don't think it's a good idea to rely solely on app store to uh, app store revenue to run your business. The app store is amazing, but you don't want to put all of your eggs in one basket. For example, Real Mac software has a number of other revenue streams that help keep the company running. These include ads, subscriptions, crowdfunding, and affiliate schemes. Why would you put the fate of your success in the hands of search and chart ranking algorithms that you have? little understanding and zero control over i mean wow. that 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 kind of that last part is 
that's just applicable to the App Store in general. He's not the first person to say it. But it, you should go and look at this post and put a link in the show notes because it shows just the numbers, you know, that, that they bring in on a daily basis. And this is just an average day for them, right? So you can see, you know, it's like, for example, clear for the Mac, um, it was number 15 in the chart. Uh, top grossing, it was number 35, and it brought in $454. Right, so it's it's very different, and you can kind of get a sense there for how different developers approach these things differently. But it's interesting to see a bigger company like Real Mac share their kind of thought, thoughts and numbers and feelings about the Mac App Store. Cool. Right, should we get into some iOS nine stuff? Yes. I want to just talk about our second sponsor first, um, and this week's episode is also brought to you by Blink. Blink is a universal iOS app that works with the iTunes affiliate program. With the affiliate program, you earn 7% of any sale generated by the links that you create. You know, People click on them, they go and look in the App Store, and you can earn 7% of any sale generated by that can go into your pocket. And Blink makes creating those links dead simple. Now, Usually people think that this stuff is just for like writers and bloggers, but that's not necessarily the case. Blink can be used for anyone who ever links to an app, music, uh, you know, like an album or a song, movie, or any other media that's sold through iTunes, the App Store, or iBooks. So like, for example, maybe you send iBooks store links to your book club every month for the next book that you're going to read, or you have a Tumblr where you link to your favorite music or movies, or you, want, or, you, know, you're, you tend to be a kind of person who share the latest app or game that you discover with your Facebook friends. With Blink, you can make a link to share with just one person or everybody that you follow on Twitter really, really easily. It's just it's just easier than any other way that you can find. It's, it's, it makes things very, very simple. And you can make a little money back from affiliate linking, and Blink is the best way to help you do it. So, you know, as I mentioned, I mentioned writers and bloggers, and, and I'm going to ask Federico in a moment because I know that he uses Blink, but hmm. it's something, it's a tool that people like Federico can use, but it kind of is a tool that anybody can use if you ever share links of any kind of group. To use Blink, you can easily convert existing links into your with into links that have your affiliate credentials in them. So this can include iTunes short links. So when sometimes the iTunes account or whatever they they have like app store slash something, you can you can take those links, expand them, and turn them into a, a link that you can share. But you can also throw the longer links in, and it will put your code on the end of them. Or you can go into Blink and search across all of the Apple stores at one time. So it will search all of the stores with one. You, you just type in one word, and it will search them all for you. You can select which store you want to look in. And then you can take that link and basically put it anywhere. Blink has support for sharing things however you want. They have URL schemes as well and, and all that kind of jazz for the teacher crowd out there. Uh, my personal favorite feature of Blink is its extension. Um, so this lets you harness the power of Blink from within any app. For example, um, this is something that I do quite a bit. I may see a new game or an app come out on Twitter or I see it on a website on RSS or something like that. I can tap and hold the link um, and then I can, so it pops up with the share sheet. I can tap the Blink extension. Blink searches it for in the store, for it in the app store. I see it. I tap a button to share it, and I can tweet it out to people. So it's just a very simple way. I'm in an app, and I'm able to bring up the link, bring up Blink, add my, and it automatically adds my affiliate token to the end, and I can share it out with Twitter or something like that. It's just a few taps, and I'm making a little money back. Super easy. Now, Federico, you are a fan and user of Blink, right? Yes, I do. I'm, I'm, I do use Blink every day. It's uh, one of my uh, most used uh, used apps on, on my iPhone and my iPad, and uh, especially you know because with Mac Stories and Mac Stories Deals, which is the the account that we run for you know highlighting uh, discounts on the App Store, uh, 
I link to apps on a daily basis, whether it's the, you know, uh, an article on Mac Stories, Mac Stories deals on Twitter, or Mac Stories Weekly, which is our newsletter. And it's such a, it's, it's such like, it, you can tell that it's been made for people who do this uh, regularly. Uh, you can search, you, you can copy links in different formats. And my favorite feature is also the extension because, you know, it, it lets me go to the App Store and copy an affiliate link without, you know, having to run a script or a workflow or whatever. It's just, you know, it works. And also, inside the extension, I love that I can change uh, without going to the app settings or without, you know, changing what I'm doing. In the extension, I can change the campaign codes uh, for the kind of link that I want to generate. So because I have different tracking campaigns on the iTunes affiliate account, I can change from the extension whether I want to use a link for my personal account or maybe for, from the MacStories account or maybe for the newsletter. Uh, we use different campaigns and we want to keep track of those campaigns. So the, the Blink extension is really well done because it lets you change the format and the campaign and it lets you share. So I can run the Blink extension, then run another extension inside the Blink extension. It's kind of crazy. I love the app. You should buy it. Trust me. Blink is available in the App Store now for $4.99. If you want to find it in the store, make sure that you search for Blink Better Affiliate Links because, you know, App Store search. Um, you know, it's, it's tough. Or you can go and find out more at getblinkapp.co and you can also, you know, find... I'm sure there's, there is an affiliate link on that page as well. You know, there's got to be. <laughs> so you can, you know, you can let John know. Because John is a great guy who makes the app and, and I love the app so much that I even lent my voice to the App Store promos, so you can at least go to the store and watch that. Blink, make your links work for you. Thank you so much to Blink for supporting this week's episode of Connected. So, Federico, you posted a big story that you've been working on for a bit about your iOS 9 wishes. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, you have you have a very long list of very complex wishes and some very uh, beautiful things that you've crafted in there. Beautiful. So, beautiful. <laughs> so I thought we would talk about them a little bit uh, and go through some stuff and, and maybe you could highlight a few of the, the key things that you're looking for. But I thought before we do that, if you'd let me uh, list mine, because my my wishes for iOS 9 uh, are a lot more simple than yours, because I, I was, I've been sitting for the last couple of days and I've been trying to think of what do I want iOS 9 to have? And I think that, that my wishes don't, they're not as far reaching because I can only really think of like nitpicky things that I want to be ironed out. And I think that eventually you will be the one who will get the most uh, wishes granted because I, I wrote this as iOS 9 wishes uh, and I do think that it would be great to have this stuff this year. Uh, but I, I think that maybe I already have my article for iOS 10 ready for next year <laughs> if if I don't get much <laughs> of this stuff. So it's, a, you know, I expect a lot of things to, you know, to to maybe happen next year or maybe in the next couple of years. And But it's just, you know, I wanted to, to write it this year because you never know. But yes, I will let you, Mike, of course. Thank you. 
So the key thing for me um, is better notification handling. And this comes in a couple of different forms. And primarily my desire for this comes from the fact that I'm an Apple Watch user. And, and it's one of the reasons why I think that one of the, the tentpole features of iOS 9 will be uh, an overhaul of notification center um, and the way that works. Because I think it, you know, people have wanted it for a while, but now with the invention of the Apple Watch, it actually gives a credible marketing thing for why you would do it. Um, you know, it's, it's a kind of stuff stuff that I would like to see. Something that I've always found insane is there's no global settings. So I can't, for example, turn badges off in all apps. Like I've always found that crazy that if I want to make a specific change, I have to go into every single app that may or may not have notification access and, sw- and flick a bunch of switches. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's just crazy to me. Just say, like, you know, a couple of simple things. No badges or, like, to set, you know, the maximum amount of notifications per app or something that can show on the lock screen or don't show on the lock screen or do show on the lock screen. Considering those are the same for everyone, you know, maybe just put it at the bottom or something. Let, let me just set all apps to, you know, in one fell swoop to not show me badges, for example. Because I, I have, like, maybe two or three apps that, you know, I really... At least on that I can see, you know, every day that I like to have badges. I, I really don't like to have badges. Um, and, you know, that's one thing that I would really like to see about control over. Um, I w- something that I would really like um, is more APIs for notifications to give developers more granular control now over what is sent where. Like, for example, um, you know, I mentioned this with the Apple Watch stuff, how I just want to know on my Apple Watch if I get a DM on Twitter. I don't want to know about anything else that might happen on Twitter, but I don't feel that way about my phone. And I want my phone to get more. I want my phone to get, like, um, mentions from friends. But I don't want my watch to have that. Because sometimes, you know, you can get stuck in a tweet canoe, I think they're called, and you're you're there all day seeing people talking about you. But my phone's fine for that, to get that, but I don't want my wrist buzzing all the time. So I would like to be able to go into an app and say, like, you can send this to here and this to here and this to here and, and that kind of thing. I think that would be really nice. Um, I'd like to see more actionable notification stuff. Um, you know, I'd like to see just more in that vein because that is really great. I love how you can interact with certain apps and I would like it if um, apps could do more of that without then having to launch the app to complete an action. And also quick replies, right, is a big one. I want any app that has a messaging function to be able to do quick replies like iMessages has. Um, I want to be able to clear all notifications. I have actually on a couple of occasions now squeezed my iPhone screen really hard to try and get rid of everything like I do on my watch. Yep. (laughs) It's funny how that just gets there. It took no time at all for me to want that everywhere. Yep. Uh, I would really like to be able to do that. So they're my notifications um, feelings. Federico, do you or Steven, do you have anything else about notifications? I still don't have a watch, so no. no (laughs) I I would only say that if they're going... So on one hand, you have nerds who want more granular control, which I do. But at the same time, you have people saying, well, it's really finicky now to go in and do all that stuff. And I think your solution of like... Give me some universal settings, and I can go from there. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that's the right path. Like the last thing I want is more switches and buttons and settings on my iPhone. But if it were smarter, then you know, I think they could get away with it. Yeah, I think with some of the API support, you could you could offload that into the apps, right? Like for example, I'm thinking about in Tweetbot, you can go in and say what you want to be notified for, right? I think it would just be nice if I could just have some buttons that I could just tap, like phone, watch, watch, phone, phone, you know, that kind of thing. 
because at the moment like i can go in and say i want to be notified for new followers favorites retweets like and it can just turn those on or off and they're in the app already so i would like it if i could say this goes to the phone and this goes to the watch that that would make me a happy a happy man um Something that I will keep asking for until I get it, and I don't think I'm ever going to get it, is to allow me to pick third-party apps as yep. defaults. <laughs> and Federico, I think it's probably my favorite part of your article because you have clearly put way more thought into the implications of this <laughs> than I have. Yes. So for anybody that maybe hasn't read it or, or whatever, could you sum that up? Like what? Because you know, in in my mind, it's like, oh, I just go into settings or whatever and say, I want this to be my mail app, this to mm-hmm. be my uh, web browser. But y- you you had a really interesting take on some of the other implications that can be a part of that. Well, in theory, uh, you know, the, the simple, you know, from a user perspective, it should be like that. You go to the settings and you just pick the, the, the different default app that you want to use. So in my article, I imagined uh, four types of uh, app that you can change that you could change as a default so the web browser the calendar client uh, the maps application for uh, navigation and directions and the email client so just four types and so in theory as a user you you should just be able to say i want to use chrome and i want to use google maps then i want to use mailbox and i don't know i want to use fantastical uh, instead of the the apple stuff the problem is that uh, or at least the problem that I see is that on iOS, unlike OS X, Apple has done a lot of uh, integration over the years, a lot of, uh, you know, making sure that there's a reason why Apple makes these apps and that they can communicate. So, for example, um, when, you, when, you're, when you are in Apple Mail in, on, on iOS and you get a message for, that contains a date or time, like, I don't know, this tomorrow morning or maybe Thursday at 10 p.m., that little bit of text gets, uh, it looks like a link, uh, and you can tap it. And when you tap it, you get, a, you get, a, you get an option to create a calendar event for, for the, the date contained in the email message. When you tap the, the create event option, you get a calendar interface inside Apple Mail. So that that's one of the integrations that Apple has done uh, with their own, you know, uh, email client and calendar client. There's like an extension of the of Apple Calendar that can create a, a new event of a message from Apple Mail. Or for example, you can you can get, you know, there's integration with Maps and and Spotlight or there's integration with Spotlight and Safari. So what happens when you when you change the default apps for these activities? So if you change the browser, if you change the calendar, if you change the email client, is there some sort of consistency with the behavior? Uh, so for instance, if I want to use Apple Mail, but I want to use Fantastical as my calendar client, and Apple Mail has the same underlined date, you know, the bit of text that is recognized by iOS as a date. If I tap it and Fantastical is my default calendar client, do I get a fantastical whatever pop-up extension or do I still get the Apple Calendar extension? Because, you know, developers can plug into that area of, of iOS. So there's a bunch of, you know, uh, questions that would need to be addressed by Apple in opening up this uh, choice to users. And I do believe that it's about time, you know, to be able to say, I, you know, 
Thank you, Apple, for making Safari. Thank you for making Apple Mail. We do appreciate the effort. And please continue making improvements. No, because I'm serious. Because, you know, most users don't need to change the default apps. But at this point, with so many hundreds of millions of iOS devices in use, uh, you you know, there, there's. it's not just me and Mike and Joe Steele and Kyle Seth Gray who want to change the default apps. It's quite a few million of users who, you know, do work on iOS and have just different needs, you know. And it's it's quite, I believe it's quite a segment of users who want to do this stuff. And most of all, the very basic truth is that you can do this on OS X. And there's no reason at this point with all these technologies, you know, the new web views with Safari in iOS 8, uh, the extensibility framework also in iOS 8, uh, there's all these underlying technologies and it's about time to, to let users change the default. But there's a, there's a bit of a, of all these integrations and features that you don't really think about uh, when you say, yeah, whatever, just put a switch and let me use the browser. That should be the user experience. But Apple on its end, I believe that should also address all these minor and not so minor uh, details. I agree with that. Like if, if I'm used to having fantastic, if I set Fantastical as my calendar, Every time I enter a calendar event on iOS, I want to be using Fantastical. Oh, not to mention, exactly, not to mention Siri. Uh, when you say create a calendar event, if you set Fantastical as your you know, calendar and I don't ever, I don't have any data in the Apple calendar, I don't have my accounts, whatever. If I say create a new calendar event, what happens? Does fun because that would also require Fantastical to get a Siri API. There needs to be a Siri API, which is another topic. Uh, you know, it's a, all these integrations that you get on iOS, uh, all this stuff that lives in the settings, but also propagates to other, you know, to other features of iOS, to other apps. And I could see Apple making the argument for, you know, yes, you can change the default, but you get all these other stuff only if you use our own apps. And it would be a fair compromise, at least initially. I can understand what they would want to say. Yes, of course, you can now open links in Google Chrome. You can now, you know, ask for directions using Google Maps. You can use Fantastical. But if you want spotlight suggestions, if you want, you know, proper Siri integration, if you want, you know, all these other uh, other features, you still got to use uh, our own apps because we cannot open these up to developers. It would make sense. But just let me open links in my default browser. Just let me use my other calendar uh, it's not so easy but it, it should also be this easy uh, you know that's the problem with iOS it should always be easy but it, in reality it's a bunch of different technologies that you need to account for and it can be tricky so I've got a couple of other quicker ones I think as well so uh, making third party keyboards usable, usable? Um, <laughs> it's so bad I don't it's use so any bad anymore switching it's so slow. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. Like, I, I want to be able to switch easier. I want, like, there's, there's clearly something, like, that developers can't get the same access to autocorrect or dictionary access, like, because they're just not as good. Like, none of them are. Um, so there must be something there that, like, maybe they could get access to, but they don't. I, I don't know what it is, but there, there definitely is something where the, the apps are just not as good at autocorrecting as the Apple keyboard. Um, and I would like that to just be pushed further. Um, if if this is going to be something that Apple's going to continue to be serious about, then it, they need there needs to be more happening in that space. 
Um, and that also, for me, in a similar vein, goes for notification center widgets. Like, I'm sick of having to watch them reload all the time. Hmm. Like, there's got to be something there that can be done to, to, to improve that as well, you know? But, you know, it doesn't, ha- at least in my experience, it doesn't happen so much on the iPad. Uh, but I, I believe it's mm. because it's got more RAM. Uh, yeah, it's it might a, be a RAM. The yeah. Memory is a problem with the with the iPhone. And there's just today a rumor uh, from that, you know, uh, analyst, whatever, the, the, the guy who is usually correct about the next iPhone um, said that the next one, the, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have an A9 CPU with two gigs of RAM. Uh, it's possible. It will be. It will be. You know, will be welcome, especially on the six plus. The problem with memory extensions crashing, widgets reloading. It's, it's all uh, an uh, entire apps reloading, such as Safari on Twitter. Uh, it will be welcome. Uh, this isn't really iOS nine, but I'm just going to say it anyway. Whilst I'm asking for stuff, I want Apple Pay. Um, just give, <laughs> yeah. give me that, please. <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, there's a. I, I've been keeping an eye on my supermarket. Yeah. They do have <laughs> the contactless thing going on, and I can't wait to go there and be the guy paying with the, with the, with his iPhone. And they with don't your know watch, what's going man. On. You'll be paying with your watch. And with my watch. Yeah. Yes. Yes. If I'm, you know, hopefully crossing my fingers, getting my watch soon. Uh, well, yeah, we should have Apple Pay. Totally. I agree. Go Europe. Uh, and I would also like um, system-wide VIP uh, for more than, than what it is currently. Because basically, VIP is mail, right? And then you also have favorites for calling. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's two different things. And both of those features break through different notification barriers, right? So mm-hmm. you can have just notifications on for mail, VIP, and you get those. And on Do Not Disturb, you can have favorites ring through. I would just like that to be one system that also ties into the what's the people in my friends thing on the watch. So those people are all the same and they get access. They can break through a bunch of different barriers. So they can break through do not disturb for phone calls and for messages um, and as well as for emails. Basically like elevate some people to a point where they can they can reach me no matter what. Yeah, I agree. Especially the difference between VIP, favorite, like there needs to be a common layer of important people. These people matter to me and no matter where they write or text or call or FaceTime me, they always need to go yep. through. So yeah. currently I we have VIPs, favorites and friends. They are three what's, completely what's different. That's what's on the watch. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you can't... Uh... I know we're not talking about the watch, but annoyingly, you can't do any of the digital touch stuff to people who aren't in your friends ring. So my on my watch is a very different group than my favorites on my phone because the watch is basically like everyone who has a watch, but you know I don't talk to like on the phone or in messages day to day. You know, it's basically our Slack group. It's just that so you know I can send like. You know, Matt Alexander's not a VIP in mail, but I can send him taps. But if he wasn't in that friend list, I couldn't. Like, I agree. It's just really muddy. And I think it's because these things got added at different times and it's time for Apple to unify them somehow. So that's kind of the end of my list. Um, And we have a bunch of listener suggestions that I want to I want to talk about. Um, So unless either of you have anything burning that you want me to cover, we could take our last break and get to the listener suggestions. Sure. That's great. 
This week's episode of Connected is also brought to you by our friends over at Squarespace. They are the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter the offer code WORLD at checkout. Squarespace, build it beautiful. When it comes to finding a place for yourself on the internet... Squarespace should be the place that you look because they give you all the power that you need, all the customization that you need. They put it right in the palm of your hands. They give you a beautiful templates, beautiful websites, beautiful tools to use, and they take away all the nasty, horrible, ugly things that you don't want to have to deal with, all the tricky things, all that stuff like hosting and scaling and that kind of stuff that you don't want to have to do. Like if you want to have a store, they take away all the payment processing. They, you know, They have the Stripe integration. They do the inventory management. And they also back this up with like 24-7 support. They have teams that are ready to help you out. They're in New York. They're in Dublin. They're in Portland. They're there 24-7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week with live chat and email support. They're right there for you whenever you need it. Squarespace's platform is getting more awesome all the time. They have beautiful templates that you can use. They all feature responsive web design right out of the box. It's going to look great on all devices. Their page building system is always getting better. It's totally drag and drop. It's super easy to build pages and rearrange them. And you can now, like, you can make all, there isn't like two different systems. You don't go into like the publishing system and then into the backend system. It's all on one page. You see your website on the right-hand side. You can make changes to it on the left and they update right there. You can click onto your website and type right into it. It's absolutely incredible. There's nothing else like Squarespace. It is the very best. They have loads of great integrations with like Getty Images to give you stock photography at $10 an image. I mentioned that you can sell stuff. They have their commerce platform. They have a Google Apps integration. You can get domains for Squarespace, they can help you with portfolios, they can help you design a logo, it is the full kit and caboodle, don't forget they have the cover pages as well, that you create really great single page websites as well as, you know, they have the full websites they have the cover pages, you can put one of those on the front of a full website, you can really take it as far as you want to make it you can start a trial right now with no credit card required and build your website today by going to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up, make sure that you use the offer code WORLD at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Connected. Thanks you so much to Squarespace for helping us out today. Squarespace, build it beautiful. So we have a bunch of listener suggestions. So we uh, we took to the interwebs and asked people, asked you guys, um, what makes sense uh, for Apple to look at for iOS nine? And uh, we've we've collected a bunch of these, and I thought we could just um, we could just go through them. So Federico, do you want to tackle this uh, this first one? Sure. Stephen <laughs> just didn't want to say the name. Yeah, I know what he's up to. Um, so listener, listener Abimat, Abimat, Abimat. You did better listener, than I would have done. Yes, listener, you know who. Um, Upgrade pricing, especially on the Mac App Store. So yeah, we we talked about this just a few minutes ago. Uh, developers have been asking for the ability to say, I have version two of my app currently on the App Store and I'm working on version three. I want to offer a discount price, what is called an upgrade pricing to my existing customers if I want to migrate to, to the new version of my app. That's been discussed many, many times before and Clearly, Apple is not, you know, uh, it's not. Li- they are listening, but maybe they just don't think it's uh, it's the way to go. Uh, I disagree because, especially for some type of Mac software, uh, with the, 
you know, a different price mechanic, a different history. Uh, there's, there's customers uh, that have been with some companies for decades. So it's obviously different from the iOS App Store. Even on the iOS App Store, developers have been kind of, you know, finding hacks around the system, especially with Complete My Bundle, uh, with iOS 8 released last year. Some developers have been using bundles to kind of offer discounts to people, but even this workaround has turned out to be problematic for some companies. I saw some tweets from the Omni Group and a kind of situation they have going on with OmniFocus 2 for iPhone and the bundle they offered. I haven't been following, but the truth is that there's no upgrade pricing on the App Store. I think it makes sense. It would make sense for some type of Mac software. But again, this is the company that didn't offer any any upgrade pricing for Logic when they switched from the old version of Logic to Logic uh, 10. 10. So they don't believe in upgrade pricing. I don't think that's necessarily uh, right or fair, but you know, I, I wish it they offered it, but just not happening. So you never know. But I'm 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 sorry, Abi Mount. John has has wrote in John who actually makes Blink, which makes sense for what I'm about to say here. And this was something that Federico spoke about, so I'm interested to hear your thoughts, buddy. Uh highlight text or a URL and have that as a place to launch an extension. And yeah. you 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 mentioned about extension points, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um so extensions is a, it was an amazing addition to iOS, and it totally changed how I use, especially my iPad. I think it's time to kind of extend the extensions in the sense that right now you can only trigger extensions from the share sheet, uh, which has downsides, both when it comes to discovering extensions, because, you know, a lot of people don't actually know what they do, what they are, how you can set them up, etc. And also it has problems when it comes to the inputs. So this has been for many de developers. Uh, Brian um, from Tumblr, he has a, a great collection of issues uh, of, uh, of extensions and kind of triggering extensions and what exactly gets passed to an extension. That's been a problem for many, many developers. And I think it would be appropriate to to offer better tools to developers and say, okay, you can active, you can offer an extension from the share sheet, but you can also have your extension when you copy and when you select text. Because and again, the Apple has the advantage; they are already doing this stuff just in certain places. So on iOS, uh, if you select text in iBooks, you get a share sheet that you can activate from the selection of text. So it's not they have a precedent when it comes to text selections, and this could be beneficial to many types of apps. So for instance, if I'm in Saf a lot of people don't know, if you're in Safari and you want to uh, share a selection from the web page, so let's say you're reading uh, a blog post from Stephen and you want to you know, share a quote from Stephen, some apps, offer extensions that can get the text selection from Safari. And this is totally not, not obvious if you're just saying, okay, sure, I tap the share sheet, the share sheet shares the web page. That's not true. And I believe that, you know, having an option to trigger extension from text would offer, you know, better connection between, okay, I select text, then I use the extension. And, uh, you know, there's many other uh, points, extension points that I, that I, 
I mentioned in my article, you know, uh, having the ability to trigger extensions in mail or, you know, uh, text. Uh, it's been so, it's been so kind of not obvious in the past year to figure out exactly what the extensions support. And I think some consistency would be better for iOS 9, like to say, okay, as a developer, you get access to this and this and this type of data, and you can dynamically adjust what type of data gets passed to an extension. But in reality, they just need more options. They just need to say, okay, you can have an extension here, you can have an extension there, just, you know, to break outside of the share sheet. Uh, because a lot of people, a lot more people would use extensions if only they were available outside of the share icon. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to combine... Uh, the koalas and Lee, they're they're very similar. Koala. Uh, they're very similar uh, ideas of uh, I was not should have watch kit like glances or complications on uh, you know on the lock screen. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it's thinking about it on the phone. It sounds more like widgets, you know, like that's a thing that everybody's wanted forever on iOS. And I do wonder if if this sort of idea, you know, you can have a little projection of your app. You know, outside of it, that can be running and just for glanceable information. You know, if that makes sense on something uh, like like the lock screen of the iPhone, I, I think I could argue that it does. Um, you know, have your little activity rings. You know, when you when you just turn your phone on and or have just little little bits of information. I find it really helpful on the watch. You know, I've got several complications, and it's it's nice because you don't have to go in and dig dig around. You just tap it; it comes on. You see what you need to know, and then you move on. And I, I for one, would like to see that, uh, you know, spread to other devices. I don't. Um, oh yeah. I just think that's what my watch is for. Like, <laughs> I used to want widgets and stuff like on my iPhone, but I don't now look at my iPhone for that kind of information. I look at my watch, and I think it makes more sense to have it on that device than than to have it on both devices. And you pick one, and I think the watch is the right place for it. Um, and also, you know, from a marketing perspective, don't like make less of a reason to own a watch, right? Give, give, I think that the iPhone, go, it, again, you go in and grab data from it. That's my thing that I keep talking about. You go into the iPhone and you find what you want and that's what that's about. But the, the watch displays stuff to you. And, and so I think glances and complications are a great essence of what the watch is about. And the phone is about apps. And like, no, arguably, notification center widgets give an element of that type of stuff. But again, that's I think that even notification center widgets are way more complex than glances and and uh, complications. That's just my feeling. I just think I don't. Now that I have both of these devices, I don't need them to both do the same thing. Um, Federico, going back to something that uh, you mentioned a moment ago about the iBooks text selection, James yeah. wants that across the entire OS. Now, I have no idea what he's talking about. I don't know what iBooks text selection is. No, just when you select uh, text in iBooks, Apple has a, a share uh, button in the in the copy and paste menu that lets uh, you share text. Right. So the, the difference here, there's two things to mention. One, developers can still customize the iOS uh, copy and paste menu and have a share uh, icon that the shirt button that opens the shirt sheet. For example, Pocket and Instapaper do this. And 
the other thing to mention is that this is, I think James and I use this example because it's an Apple app and Apple is not doing the share sheet activation from the copy and paste menu in other apps such, such as Mail or Safari. But what I also, what I didn't mention in few minutes ago and what I would like to see would be the ability to trigger specific extensions directly. So let me skip the share sheet uh, section altogether. Again, on the Mac, when I'm in Safari, there's a one password icon that lets me go straight to one password. I don't need to to go to share one password and then I open one password when I when I want to use the one password extension. I just click the one password icon on iOS because of maybe the technologies you know a first version and maybe also for security concerns they they you need to go through the share sheet you need to say okay share i want to use the extensions then you need to say okay i want to use this one and this i believe is because you know you want to have the user's willingness to use an extension for ios 9 it would be nice to say okay I don't want to go through all this share sheet stuff every time. Just let me open this extension programmatically, specifically. So if my user wants to wants to have the one password login or maybe the drafts, you know, text capture extension, you can go there directly. So let me skip basically the middleman of the share sheet and let me go to extensions. Uh, and to a specific one whenever I want. I understand why Apple wanted to group them all together in a single place, but maybe, you know, it's time to be more flexible. Leading on from that, um, at GX31 on Twitter was saying, you know, having a revised copy and paste menu, and I guess with that, you know, adding these extension points, but also a new iPad keyboard with a way to move the cursor. I think that would be nice to have that everywhere. Like, you know, I've seen some apps do this where you can like swipe your finger across and it moves the cursor. I think that's a really nice thing. Um, I still find that frustrating, trying to get the cursor to go exactly where I want it to be. Um, So I would like to tap in a random place and then just scroll around to to find my place would be really nice um oz uh has said and this is a, i i think this is really interesting i think it's time for an app store cleanup withdraw old apps like maybe you know last updated in july 2011 apps you know apps that haven't even got the four inch screen on them and time to get rid of them um federico you think that this might be might be a difficult thing to do well it's uh you know it it is tricky. I, I I don't think I have the technical knowledge. Um, I mean, the app store it can be slow, I guess. I don't know. I think I, part I feel of this that... is to get rid of old rubbish apps uh, that haven't been updated that aren't actively that's, developed I mean, from that's... search. I've been like I've been thinking about this for a while. It, when I say like it's a the technical problem is that when you are a developer and you sign a contract with Apple to release your apps on the App Store. Um, I don't know what the terms are. Like, if I give you my app and I just want to have the app on the App Store, the contract doesn't say that I need to update the app. It just says that I need to keep paying my developer fee. Sure, but so, terms can change. Like Terms can change, you know. yes. But what as a customer, so I, as a developer, I don't know. But as a customer, and I mean, it... it, it you know, the app store is, of course, bloated. I and mean, there's so many apps. And when you want to look for stuff, 
it's, it's difficult because the search results are also bad. And besides the search algorithm, which is kind of crazy, uh, there's also all these other apps, old apps that you come across and you never can find what you're looking for. But as a user, what if I want to use the old app? What if I'm some kind of freak that wants to use an app from 2010 for some reason? And actually, uh, I'm telling you, in some cases, I came across apps that did a specific, that had a specific feature or that did something that I couldn't find in recent apps. So what if I need or want an old app? I should be able to to, to find it. I should be able to use it. So I've been thinking about, you know, let's get rid of the old stuff. And I agree, in, uh, you know, the, the principle is not, it's not, you know, uh, misaligned with my, also with my interests. But I also feel like it would set a, like a precedent for Apple that maybe they don't want to deal with. Uh, because how do you judge what's old or well, what's you not just, old? Again, like, I think a really good way of it is, you know, is an app retina or is, does an app support the four inch? Sure, but what phone? if I don't care? Well, it's not about with yeah. Okay, I get what you're saying, but it, you know there are people that care on either side. I think at a certain point, Apple does have to do something. I think because you end up with just a bunch of like old, old like rubbish apps that are eventually just gonna start breaking, right? They, not they, not to mention, Mike. I'm sorry, but not to mention the problem of game and app preservation. That you know. Oh I, no very much care about yeah i mean what if okay what if a developer makes a fantastic app in 2010 then i mean just an example what if the developer dies and oh. a family member continues paying the developer fee do you just want to have that app removed from the app store yeah, but you're you're charging <sighs> emotion to make me sound mean like the thing is, this is a business, and eventually that you end up with an app store that's just full of just like... No, I'm saying maybe have a way to push down these old apps in search results. I agree that they shouldn't be treated on the same level of modern, updated, you know, maintained apps. But remove them outright from the app store, I don't think that's the best way to go. Okay. Well, okay. We, we might come back to all that. That's <laughs> like yes. an interesting topic <laughs> in and of itself. Uh, the the last one is from uh, from Jonathan who says I'd love to be able to mark a calendar event as do not disturb and have my so- my phone set accordingly. So I thought this was genius. Yeah, way. so I could in in Jonathan's uh, bullet point here, I could have my record connected calendar event set to a do not disturb event, and then my phone and watch and everything go into do not disturb for the length of that event. Yeah, which is genius in every way like i can't believe that that doesn't this is this is like everything else i'm like yeah that would be nice like yeah i would like that i would like that but i read that and i was like i can't believe that doesn't already exist i was like yeah this is something that should should happen so why would why would you want this i guess I, I, meetings I, I, podcast you don't go to meetings <laughs> as someone who spends their life in meetings i think it would be great mm. and i think you know you could even go a step further and, and some android phones do this where you know if you're going to do this, like go all the way where your phone is even more aware of what's in your calendar or even where you are. So, um, you know, if I'm, if, you know, a lot of people, including myself, I do not disturb, go on my phone automatically at about 10 30 PM. Uh, and that's great if I'm at home, but like last night, my wife and I were out and I didn't want to do that because we had someone watching the kids. And so, you know, look down at like, you know, 10 40 and Oh, my phone's on do not disturb and turn it off. It could be great to be able to 
compare those things. Like, phone, if you are at this address and is this time, do this thing. And, you know, yes, like that's, you know, kind of straying back into like maybe the power user territory. But everyone would find that really nice is to set some, some general rules up and the phone know what to do. The, the only meetings uh, I take are introspective ones. <laughs> you don't want to be disturbed during those those personal alone No, times. I don't care. I, I just block out everything else. But it would be useful for podcasting. No, no, right? no, I agree. It would be, yes, and I would, like, I get it, yes. So, yeah, that, that, like, I think I, I... I do like the idea of a, of a software option triggering a setting on iOS. I feel like that could be expanded to other stuff. Uh-oh. I Yes. I do like the idea of an option setting a global switch on the entire device. I feel like there's potential there. So, Jonathan, Jonathan, what, what have you been up to? This guy, I don't think he's just a listener. This is too precise as a, as a suggestion. Hmm. Who's Jonathan? What do we know about Jonathan? Uh, nothing off the top of my head. I mean, I can try mm-hmm. and find some stuff out if you want. We will investigate you, Jonathan. That's creepy. That's terrifying. <laughs> All right, so that brings us to the end of this week's episode of Connected. If you'd like to find the show notes for this week, go to relay.fm slash connected slash 39. If you'd like to find us online, you can find Federico at maxstories.net and he is at Vitici on Twitter, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. And Stephen is at 512pixels.net and he is at ISMH. And I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E, and I'm the host of many shows here on the lovely Relay FM, of which Connected is a part. And you can find this show and many more over at relay.fm. Thank you so much for listening this week. Thanks again to our sponsors, Harry's, Squarespace, and Blink. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.